Mark chapter number 5, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 21. Now, our text is not found in verse 21, but I believe there is a beautiful truth that is often neglected uh, when people do not read the entire context of the passage that we have set before us. Uh, I believe we learn some things about our Savior. And let me say this, everything that the Bible records is recorded that we might know something about God. Even if it's that we might know something about man, it's that we might know something about God and His relation to man. The book you have before you is the revelation of God to humanity. That's what it is. And uh, as we preach this morning and read this morning, you'll find that this uh, story set before us, this factual story, it's historical, and it is absolutely accurate that it presents to us the Savior in a unique way. And so we ought not neglect the image of the Savior that's put before us in this passage. And so because of that, let's begin reading at verse 21. The Bible says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side. You say, where did he come from? Well, he just got through healing the maniac of Gadara. It says, Much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd help me in this time of preaching. Lord, I need the unction and power of the Holy Ghost. Father, I believe in the Holy Ghost this morning. I believe that I need Him this morning. Father, I believe without His wooing power and presence that nothing can be accomplished. So we ask, Father, that He would have liberty in hearts and in minds and in lives. And God, that Your Son would be lifted up and magnified. Help us to rightly divide Your Word. Father, we do not want uh, the Word to dictate what we think but, uh, or for us to dictate what the Word thinks, but for it to dictate what we ought to think. And we ask that You'd make it clear Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things, and Father, we'll be sure to thank you. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. Lord, we just pray that they'd be saved before it's eternally too late. We love you this morning, Lord, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Now, I understand that the passage of Scripture before us is probably familiar to almost everyone in this room. You'll find it recorded in three different books of the Word of God, in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, as we've just read, and in the book of Luke. And most of us have set this scene before our eyes many times, of this afflicted woman that comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and reaches out, touches the hem of His garment, as Luke says, and is miraculously healed. But what we may not understand this morning is that this is not just a story about a woman with an issue of blood. This is not just a story that needed a, uh, about a woman that needed her physical ailment healed. But this is a picture for you and I of the lost sinner that's in need of Calvary. Let me tell you something. It excites me to read about my Lord saving people. I mean, that excites me for a lot of reasons. It causes me to recollect, for one thing. It makes me think back to what Christ did for me. It causes me to rejoice when I think about sinners coming to Christ. And you know, something's wrong. Hey, if heaven can rejoice over sinners coming to know Christ, I guess Baptists ought to grunt. Don't you think so? I mean, that ought to do something within us. And I sometimes worry. Now, everybody's not the same. Not everybody is emotional in the same way. Not everybody exhibits it in the same manner. But I'll say this. If a person's saved, just as that little child gets excited about a new baby brother or sister, I believe that a believer is going to get excited about a new baby brother or sister. And so it excites me to read this. It excites me because it causes me to examine my Savior. You know, it makes me remember what happened the day that I was saved. Uh, most of us, we were in different places than each other when we got saved, probably different times. Uh, we probably had uh, uh, different experiences to some varying degree. You may have been in a church house. You may have been in a revival. Uh, you may have been like me, sitting alone in your bedroom. But the Holy Spirit of God made real to you your need of Calvary. You may have heard it a thousand times before, just like I had. Hey, I knew it. I could have recited it to you. I mean, I knew the facts of the matter. I just didn't understand the faith of the matter. I mean, I had it up here. I just didn't have it here. I I knew it as an an academic acknowledgement, but I did not uh, know it as an accepting reality. God made real to me my lost condition. And in that moment, I knew that if I, died, if I did not call upon the Savior, I had no hope. I quit going to different physicians. You say, preacher, you're just a ten-year-old boy, and you're right, I was. But you know, even ten-year-old boys are in need of salvation. And, uh, you know, no other physicians could have solved it. I'm glad that I didn't spend uh, a lot more years going to different types of physicians. You say, what do you mean physicians, preacher? I mean different philosophies. I mean different means and methods to try to attain some satisfaction to my soul. I mean, I'm thankful that I found the true fountain that day when I got saved. And as we read this passage of Scripture, I don't believe we'd be doing it justice if we didn't notice some things about our Lord and Savior before we turn our attention to this woman. The reason I read the entire context is because we find that this is a parenthetical narrative. Now you say, whoa, preacher, what does that mean? Well, we know what parentheses are. Uh, They denote... An idea, excuse me, inside of an idea. If you're talking in a sentence or if you're typing something or writing something to someone and you think something is worth noticing, mentioning, clarifying, and it may not go in the organic flow of the thought, but you think it's worth placing in there, you might write a little uh, sideways smiley face. You know what I mean, a parenthesis. And then you uh, carry out your thought and then you end it with another parenthesis because you want people to understand that, hey, even though this may not be right in the context of it, this is worth mentioning. 
Well, in the very same way, we find that this is really a miracle inside of a miracle, before a miracle, and after a miracle. The Bible tells us uh, in verse 21, 22, and 23 uh, that Jesus was going to heal the daughter of a ruler by the name of Jairus. The Bible says that she was at the point of death and the Lord had compassion on Jairus and uh, decided that he would go and heal his daughter. Uh, Well, the news had been spreading abroad about Jesus Christ. And as he walked, left the ship that he had taken over to where he was at, and he began to walk, multitudes of people began to gather around him. And in the midst of the busyness of it all, this woman was able to make contact with the Son of God. Now, I don't know if that encourages you, but it encourages me, because it tells me some things about the Lord. He was not deterred from helping her. I don't know about you, friend, but I get busy in life, and I'm sure you get busy as well. There's probably times that somebody needs your help, and you want to help them, but it's just not possible. There's probably times maybe somebody needs some money, you'd love to loan it to them, uh, but you've already loaned it all out to somebody else, amen? Times when somebody needs, hey, when it's moving time, we find out who our friends are, don't we, amen? We find out who really loves us when it's time to move. And uh, maybe somebody called you and said, hey, you know, I need some help moving. You said, well, you know, I would, but I've got this going on, that going on. There's some things that deter us from doing what we really want to do. You see, our will, Brother Ralph, is not absolute. It is not always carried out. We may have a desire to do something, but not the means to do something. But the Son of God is not this way. We find that in this passage, there's three things that I believe could have deterred him, Brother Ralph, but that he didn't let them deter him. I would say that first off, we see that the multitude could not deter him from healing this woman. The Bible uses the word thronged about him. That literally means that they pressed upon him. There was such a crowd that he could not even move. I'm sure you've been in situations like that. You go to uh, some of these things like Boomsday or some big activity, uh, and you get in the mix of the crowd, and it's stifling. You can't even move. There's so many people that are gathered about you, and you're just trying to survive. Somebody say amen right there. You know what I'm talking about. You're just hoping to get out without getting stepped on. If you've ever been to Black Friday, you ought to get a purple heart. Amen? I mean, that you know what it's like to be in the multitude. Well, here the multitude was around the Son of God, but still he had time for this woman. You know that <laughs> this world is, is thronging about for a way to heaven. You know, this world's looking for a way. It really is. Some people say, well, you know, this world don't care about it. I don't buy that for one minute. Uh, now, maybe the, the stuffy-nosed uh, Pharisees, they're not looking for the truth. But let me tell you something. The lost and undone, the broken-hearted, the bankrupt, they're still looking for a way. They're still wanting to get to heaven. And despite, listen to me, despite all the religion in the world, Jesus still saves. Do you hear me? Despite all the confusion and the clutter and the static of this world, Jesus still saves. The multitude could not deter him. But I would say not only the multitude, but his mission could not deter him. I mean, here he is on his way. You know, I don't know, how, I don't know what you classify urgent as. I mean, everybody classifies urgent as different things. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, some people come to you and say, I've got something important to tell you. And one of the hardest things about pastoring is, is you know, people, people say things to you. And some people you learn and you know what they mean. Uh, but I've had people come up to me sometimes and say, uh, there'll be people that'll say, Preacher, I have something so important that I need to speak to you about. And I walk into the pulpit and I'm thinking, oh my, what's happening? Somebody's done something. It's going to blow up. It's all going wide open. And uh, then I talk to them after and they say, I'm going to be on vacation later this week, so I'm not going to be here on Wednesday night. I just want to let you know. 
And then other people will come up and they'll say, uh, you know, preacher, if you got a minute, just a second, it's not important. Can I holler at you later? And I'll say, yeah, sure. I don't give another thought to it. I'll walk down to them afterwards and they say, uh, preacher, I just want to let you know we're leaving. We're taking my family, those four families over there. Just wanted to make you aware. No big deal. Holler at you later. People, people define urgent in different ways. But I'll say this. You don't find anything more urgent than death. I mean, here was this man and his daughter, the Bible says, was at the point of death. Time is of the essence, but it's not of the essence to the timeless one. You understand. I mean, importance was thrust upon this situation. The, the, the absolute magnitude of what needed to take place was pressing upon it. But still he had time. For this poor woman. Do you know, friend, that God's a pretty busy God? But the wonderful thing about God being omniscient, He knows everything. Omnipotent, He has all power. And omnipresent, meaning He is everywhere at the same time, means that He always has time to save the sinner. I mean, He always. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Saving souls is His business. That's what He's interested in. There's a lot of things the church does, and they're good things. There's nothing wrong with them. But at the end of the day, this is a soul-saving work. I mean, that's what it's about. Amen? That's what He came for. That's what He's interested in. And His mission to do these things. God's never going to get so busy with somebody else that He can't help you. God's never going to get so busy with someone else. You may be sitting here today thinking, Oh, you know, God don't care a thing about me. Well, if you, if you believe that, you didn't get that from the Word of God. Because the Bible says uh, that He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's interested in you. But I would say, thirdly, we see that the meagerness of this woman did not deter Him. Uh, you know, importance is defined in different ways as well. Your spouse is probably important to you. If not as a friend, probably as a foe. <laughs> I mean, you've you got your eye on them one way or the other. And they're important to you. They mean something to you. They may not be that important to somebody else. I, mean, I hate to burst our bubbles. You know, I got a new baby. I, I mean, I've got, he's brand new. You know, he still smells like a, you know, I mean, he's got, he still smells like leather, you know. He's brand new. And I, man, I'm smitten. I mean, I'm being honest with you now. I'm smitten. I mean, I got the, I got the best baby in the world. I don't know what the rest of y'all are going to do. Because I already got the best one. And that's selfish because I already got the best wife too. So, I mean, I. Uh, you know, but I also recognize, hey, I'm a little biased. You know what I mean? Uh, every crow thinks his crow's the blackest, is what I'm saying. We all think that ours is the best, and importance is a relative thing. Uh, there'd be a problem if I didn't feel that way about him. And there'd be, if, if your, your child or your grandchild or niece or nephew or whatever neighbor boy that mows your yard, there'd be a problem if you didn't feel that way about them as opposed to someone you do not know. But do you know that the Son of God doesn't feel that way about us? Here's this poor pitiful woman. She's nobody. She's nobody. She was so insignificant she was being trampled upon. Nobody noticed her. Nobody cared about her except the Son of God. Nobody cared about me. I mean, my parents loved me, I, and I wonder about that sometimes, you know. I, I was insignificant. I was a 10-year-old boy. I mean, this world would not have rocked and reeled. The seas wouldn't have began to burn if something had happened to me, Brother Ralph. But God was interested. The meagerness of a 10-year-old boy didn't deter the Son of God from taking notice of me. You may feel insignificant. You probably do. And let me say this. In the scope of this world, you're probably right. I'd be right about me if I said that. But that's why this world is not the hope and help that we're looking for. It's the Son of God. It's the Savior. 
you're not insignificant to him. He cares about you. We see the Savior was not deterred by any of these things. So there he is walking along. And this woman, the Bible says, she had heard of Jesus. She came in the press behind and she touched his garment. But before we find that out, we find a little history out about it. Uh, the Bible says that she had an issue of blood. Uh, she, at this time in her life, she was probably a younger woman, and this would have deterred her from being able to have children. It would have deterred her from being able to really have a life. I want to say a word about her torment that she dealt with. I, I mean, remember, we're picturing the sinner here, Brother Ralph. That's who we're seeing in this woman. The lost sinner, just like I was lost, just like you either were or are lost. We're all born into this world sinners. That's who this woman was. She was a sinner. And we see, first off, that she was afflicted. Now, that's the very obvious thing. The Bible says she's sick. She had an issue of blood. She was broken physically. Every other problem she had was derived from her brokenness physically. Her, her, her physical ailment was not derived from her bankruptness. Her physical ailment was not derived from her being ostracized or cast out. Let me say this. Uh, let me tell you where the, the world has it wrong. The world thinks that our sin... Our sin is a result of our circumstances. The world believes that we are sinners because we sin. In fact, a famous evangelist said that one time. said, we are sinners because we sin. No, no. The Bible teaches we sin because we are sinners. We are broken physically. We're born into this world as sinners. You say, oh, well, no, not even a little bitty baby. Yeah, even my little bitty baby is born into this world a sinner. Every single man, woman, and child born into this world is born lost. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that death passed upon all men in that all have sinned. I don't care who you are, you're born with a sin nature. This woman was broken physically, but let me say she was banned from fellowship. If you were to read in the book of Leviticus chapter 15, I won't take you there, but you'll find that this particular ailment that she had would have banned her from fellowship with the children of Israel. She would have been considered unclean. And she would have been banned from their fellowship. Do you know that the sinner, and listen, some people may not believe this, but it's the truth. And you, you, uh, you examine people long enough, you'll find this is so. The sinner, at the end of the day, all he can hope for is acquaintances. That's all he can hope for. Someone that has enough in common with him, they don't strangle each other when they talk. Of course, I, Baptists can't even do that well, Brother Ralph. But, uh, you know, that, that's all he can hope for. At the end of the day, friend, you don't know what real fellowship is. You say, you don't have the right to judge me. I'm not judging you. The Bible teaches that. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Do you know that the word fellowship is found 16 times in the Word of God? Do you know that 14 of those times it's found in the New Testament? Do you know why that is? Because fellowship is a thing of grace. It's a thing of grace. We have fellowship with the Father and with His Son. We have fellowship one with another through the gospel and through the sufferings, uh, through the grace of God. Uh, the sinner, at the end of the day, he, he has acquaintances, uh, friends that are willing to be with him while he has his living. But when all of his living is spent in a far country, they'll leave him in the pigsty. They're there for the moment. They're there for the pleasure. But at the end of the day, they're there for themselves. They don't know what selfless love is. And this woman, in the same way, she didn't know what fellowship was. She was ostracized, alienated, felt alone, I'm sure. You know why? You know why the sinner feels alone? Because he is alone. That's why. That doesn't mean that the Son of God's not interested in him. It doesn't mean the Son of God doesn't love him. Of course he does. But there's a wedge between him and the Son of God, and it's his sin. And of course he's going to feel alone. This woman uh, was banned from fellowship, but I would say this woman was barren of family. Uh, this ailment would have kept her from being able to have children. 
I don't know why I was talking to my wife about this. She's smarter than me. I mean, I'll go ahead and say that now. It's on record. Uh, She can get a copy of this CD, keep it on hand. But she is. She's smarter than me. And I I was telling her, I don't know why. You may not be this way, but I've always pictured this woman as being an older woman. I don't know why. But in my mind, when I read this passage, but the more I began to look and to think about this passage, the more I realized that this woman was probably, if we consider the time that a young lady begins to mature and and, and factor in 12 years later, I mean, this, this woman was probably in her 20s. She was a young lady. She had no family. She had no one. She, she, she had no hope of having children. I don't think you realize sometimes that the magnitude of that in ancient Israel and in ancient times in general. I, I mean, I know that we're progressive, you know, and I, I know we don't, you know, hold doors for women anymore and we don't, you know, da-da-da-da-da, I understand that, that's whatever. But let me tell you something. At this time, a woman's uh, self-worth was invested in her ability to have children. At that time, it was. Now, thank God, wonder grace, thank God we're somebody in Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative or critical or sarcastic, but I'm saying at this time, this woman would have felt worthless because of her malady. She would have felt like she had no purpose in life. We see that she was afflicted. But I would say not only uh, was she afflicted, but she was impoverished. The Bible says she spent all of her living, Brother Ralph, Many physicians went from one to the other. Some of y'all know what that's like, amen? One to the other, bounce from one to the other one. Do you ever want to get them in the same room and make them argue? You ever feel like that? You ever want to say, look, this fellow over here is telling me this. You're telling me this. Y'all pick a golf day and duke it out on the green somewhere so we can figure out what's wrong with me. This woman that spent all of her money on physicians, she had nothing left. Listen to me. You know when the sinner gets saved? When he realizes that he has no choices. That's when the sinner gets saved. When the sinner gets saved is when you say, oh, you mean preacher, you've got to be in some rough shape. No, 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 I wasn't in rough shape. I was lost on my way to hell, but I mean, to outward appearances, I wasn't in rough shape. But I finally, as a 10-year-old boy, came to realize that nothing else could save me. I was just as impoverished as this woman because I recognized the futility of any other means of trying to please God. This woman realized I got no other options. It's either the Son of God or it's nothing. He is my last and greatest hope. And if He does not save me, if He does not heal me, I will not be healed. She was impoverished. Let me say this, and and I'm not going to preach it because it's just we've already touched on it. But we see that she was abandoned as well. I find it interesting that in Luke's account it says she spent all of her living. Pay attention to the words in the Word of God. They're important. Just like in, in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about the seed of a woman. Well, a woman does not have seed. And it's speaking prophetically of the Son of God. There's significance. When it says all of her living, there's a reason it says that. It does not say all of her husband's living, like the rest of us have to deal with. Amen? It says all of her living. I believe it's indicative, and it is to me, Brother Charlie, that she probably didn't have a husband. Probably nobody would marry her because she's sick and she's barren. No man would have her. Nobody was interested in her. And, you know, that's really the attitude of this world. Let me tell you something. This world is interested in you until they've sucked everything out of you they can get. The devil is interested in you until he has gotten everything that he can from you, and then he'll leave you in the pig slot. And don't think he won't. He's done it to far greater, more important, better-looking, richer, more brilliant people than you or I. He'll do it every time. We see this woman's torment, but then something changes, Brother Ralph, on that road. Something enters her life that transforms her. We see her torment, Brother Apple. We see her touch. I find it interesting that that 
Oh, how beautiful it is. You ought to study sometime the metaphors for salvation in the Word of God. Just take a drink of that living water. Just just take a bite of that heavenly bread. Just, the book of Isaiah says, look. It's phenomenal, the things the Bible uses to describe the act in which the sinner places his faith in the Son of God. And here it's used as a touch. She reached out. That shows a defeating of her will and a superimposing of a divine will. She quit going to the doctors. She reached out. It shows her faith. When you reach for something, you're usually planned on getting it, you know? I mean, if you reach for remote control, uh, you're usually expecting that it's going to be there. You're going to grab it. It's like my house. You don't know where it's at, but, you know, you reach for it just the same. This woman reached out. She touched. I want to say, first off, it was a desperate touch. Desperate. She said, she said, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, Luke's account says. She said, I'm done with the doctors. I'm done with the other options. I'm done. I'm at the point of desperation. I'll tell you why a lot of people won't get saved. And, and listen, I don't know people's hearts. There may be lost folk under the sound of my voice. And, and, and it may be the people that have been here longest. We don't know. It may be me. You don't know. Right? I know that I'm saved, but you don't know whether I'm saved or not. I know that I'm saved, but you don't know whether I'm saved or not. I don't know about you either. There may be lost people under the sound of my voice. And I'll tell you right now, if you don't get saved today, I'll tell you why you won't. You say, preacher, you don't have the Yeah, I do have the right, because it's biblical. You won't because you're not done trying other things out yet. You're not desperate yet. You're still hoping those good works are going to pay off. You're still hoping your morality, which is nothing but the devil's counterfeit for spirituality, you're still hoping that's going to pay off. You're hoping that baptism, when used little, is going to pay off. Uh, you're hoping that that, that that prayer that someone prayed for you while you was twiddling your thumbs and didn't have a mind in the world to speak to God and you just went forward because somebody else told you to, you didn't mean business with God, you weren't under conviction. You're just hoping that's going to pay off. You see, you're still going to other physicians. You're not desperate yet. This woman got desperate. She said, nobody else can help me. It must be the Son of God. It was desperate, but it was determined. Determined. Let me tell you something. A person is not willing to get saved when they're nitpicking uh, the sermon or the preacher or the singing or the this or that or the other. They're not interested in speaking to God. Uh, I heard an interesting story the other day, and I thought this was good, and I think we need to hear it. A fellow was talking to a friend of his about church, and uh, he asked him, he said, did you go to worship the Lord today? And the fellow said, well, yeah, I went. He said, well, how was it? I said, well, you know, it was okay. He said, you know, we, we got there and, and uh, you know, the regular choir leader wasn't there and they, they sang some songs they weren't quite familiar with. And, you know, it was just okay. And he said, well, you know, that's okay. How's the special? Well, you know, the, the, uh, the guy got up and sang the special, but he's kind of pitchy at places. And, uh, you know, he just didn't, it, it wasn't everything I'd hoped it would be. Well, okay, well, how was the sermon? Well, you know, it was okay. I brought a friend with me, and I was hoping they could hear uh, the pastor, but, you know, he, he had to be called away, and there was a, another guy came in. It was, you know, it was okay. I mean, you could tell it was last minute. Uh, he said, you know, but it was all right. He said, so you enjoyed worshiping today? He said, oh, yeah, I went. He said, you didn't go to worship. You went to criticize. If you went to worship, you'd have worshipped. The reason you didn't worship, you didn't come to worship. You came to criticize. You come to meet with God. It don't matter who else is there. As long as He is, that's all that's going to matter to you. 
You come to meet with God, it don't matter who hits a note here or there. It doesn't matter who says what, does what. It doesn't matter if somebody looks at you cross-eyed, steps on your toe. If you came to meet with God and you meet with Him, you'll be satisfied. And the sinner does not get saved because he's not interested in getting saved because he doesn't still, he thinks that he does not need to be saved. This woman came to be healed, so she got healed. She did not come, listen carefully to me, she did not come simply to improve her situation. She did not come for advice. She did not come for medicine. She came for healing. Many times the sinner comes to church for the purpose of being spiritual or trying to be spiritual. You can't be spiritual when you're spiritually dead. You've got to be redeemed, made alive. Come to please somebody. Hey, that's one of the main reasons, and it don't bother me. I mean, I don't care. You know, if I can get you and preach at you, you know, I'm happy. Amen. But maybe you came because somebody expected you to. God bless you for that getting you in the door. But let me say this. You won't get saved until you know you need to be saved. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, this woman was determined. I don't mean a a resolute will. I mean she came to Jesus for a reason. She needed to be healed, and she got healed, because that's what she came for. I want to say we see that it was not only a determined touch, uh, but we see that it was a distinct touch. People all around. And yet this woman got healed. You know why? Because the others had a proximity to Christ incidentally. She had a proximity to Christ distinctly. She wasn't just there to see the miracles. She was there to get help. Her touch was different because it was bathed in faith. The others were touching Him incidentally, bumping into Him. She reached out believing if she could just touch Him that it would heal her. She believed. Believed. That's the key. Now, I think sometimes we downplay this thing of belief because we have trouble wrapping our words around it. But it is biblical that we preach belief in Jesus Christ. Belief is not just an academic acknowledgement of a historical event. There's a lot of people dying and going to hell because they think salvation is the acknowledging of a historical event. And they say, yes, I believe Jesus existed. I believe He was the Son of God. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He was buried. I believe He rose the third day. Let me tell you something. You're going to brand me a heretic, but you hear me out. You can believe every bit of that and die and split hell wide open if you've not put your trust in Him. That's all right. I expected that. It's okay. There's people dying and going to hell because they have an academic acknowledgement that these things happened. And they think that's sufficient. What does it mean to believe on? It means to put your trust in. It means to confess and recognize your insufficiency and helplessness as a sinner. And to quit depending on your own philosophy. And to say, Lord, I'm going to trust because you promised me in your word that if I'll ask you to forgive me and save me of my sins... I trust that you're able and willing to do it. That's what belief is. When she reached out, that's what she was saying. She wasn't just saying He exists. She wasn't even just saying He's the Son of God. She was saying, if I can touch Him, it will make me whole. If I can reach out to Him, I believe He'll reach out to me. If I can just call on Him, I believe He'll hear me. If I can just... Ask Him to forgive. I believe He will. Not because that's what I expect of God, but because that's what God revealed about Himself to me. We see that it was a distinct 
touch. But let me say a word about her testimony. Her testimony. We all have a testimony. You say, preacher, I ain't never been saved before. Well, your testimony is that you're lost and on your way to hell. But that's your testimony. That's your experience. It's what you know. If somebody asked you, do you know what salvation is like? You'd have to say, no, I don't know what it's like because my testimony is that I'm lost. If you're saved by God's grace, you have a testimony. You may not tell anybody. You may not share it. You may not be proud of it. You ought to be. You ought to be. I don't care where you got saved, what condition you were in. I don't care who was preaching. I don't care what was going on, friend. If God saved you, that's something to be proud and happy about. We all have a testimony. What was this woman's testimony? Well, first, it was that she was healed. I like that it says she, feeling in herself, (laughs) that she had been made whole. She knew. She knew. Nobody had to tell her. (laughs) She knew when it had happened. She could feel it. I know people say, well, you know, we ought to be careful about them feelings. You know, we need to have facts over feelings. I agree with you. I agree with you. Emotions cannot run us. But let me tell you something. The fact is we're saved by God's grace, and that ought to give us some joy. I mean, something changed in her. She knew when it had happened. You say, preacher, what does it feel like? I don't know. I ain't never had an issue of blood. But she knew, she knew, she knew, she knew. In that moment, not progressively, in that moment, not when she had done some good works, in that moment, not when she was baptized, in that moment, not when she joined a church, in that moment, not when she uh, got some new clothes on, in that moment, she knew. Because Christ doesn't expect sinners to clean up before they come to Calvary. Calvary is there to clean sinners up. We see that she said, "I, I felt it. She knew she's healed in a moment. She knew that the Son of God was able. Can I say he's still able today? Still able. You say, I don't have the same affliction. No, you got a worse one. Just like I did. Her affliction could have put her in a grave. Ours could put us in hell. That's a serious affliction. You say, well, I don't know if I believe it. Well, you'll die and go to hell feeling that way then. Because the Bible reveals these truths to us. And you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe any preacher. You don't have to believe any uh, politician or any church or any teacher or principal. You don't have to believe your best friend. You don't have to believe anybody. But the Word of God reveals it to be so. We see uh, that she was healed. I like this, Brother Ralph. We see that she was healed, but we see she was hailed. I'm not saying healed in a redneck way. That's a different word. H-A-I-L-E-D. Hailed. Uh, What it means... She was called. He healed her. And then you know what he said? He said, who touched my clothes? Well, he knew. Because he always knows. He wanted her to confess. He wanted her to reveal. He wanted her to come forth. He wanted her to separate herself from the crowd she is in and step out as the one that had put her faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that's what baptism is all about. Baptism can't save a single person. I mean, no longer than we have you under the water, it can't even get you clean. <laughs> it can't do a thing. If a, if a sinner gets baptized, he goes down a dry sinner, he comes up a wet sinner. It can't save you, can't do a thing. And the Bible never teaches that it can save you. Uh, some preacher or pope might have told you that, but the Bible never says one time that salvation, salvation will save you. Never once. No, the Bible does not teach that. Salvation is not for that purpose. But it does identify us. With the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a public expression of an inward transformation. It's us saying, I've been buried with Christ. We say in baptism, 
And we are being buried with Him in baptism when we are baptized, but spiritually it's saying, I have died to self, and the righteousness of Christ has been applied to my account. I was buried with Him when He was buried. And when He rose again, I rose again to walk in newness of life. That's what baptism says. Do you know when God saves you, He saves you to bring you out from the crowd. Saves you to change you. He saves you to make somebody new and to make somebody that can be useful to the cause of Christ. We see that she was hailed. And finally, Brother Ralph, we see that she was hallowed. He said, what do you mean? I mean, she was sanctified. What did he call her? He said, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. You see, something you have to understand as you study the parables of the Word of God is that there is a duality taking place. There is a physical miracle taking place. But Christ never healed a person but what He was trying to reveal Himself to them that they might come to a saving knowledge of Him. By the same token, if God, if God pays your bills, it's because He's interested in teaching you something about Him. If He heals your disease, you say, can God do that? If He wants to, He sure can. And I've seen him do it. I can't do it. Nobody else can do it, but God can do it. And if he does it, it's not just because he wants you to be fit and healthy and running around. It's because he wants to show you something of himself. And whenever Christ healed this woman, it was that an inward transformation could take place, that her faith might be brought to fruition in salvation. That's what happened. And he said, daughter, now... (laughs) She was no longer the barren woman cast out from society. Now she was no longer the cast off woman that was forgotten, that was left alone. She's a daughter of the king now. Things have changed. She has a new family. She didn't have family before. Now she's got a new family. You say, do you think she went on to have children? I don't know. I don't know whether she did or not. But I'll say this. She got a lot of brothers and sisters in a moment. She's got a family now. She's got a father now. She's got a hope now. She's got fellowship now. She's got the riches that are in Christ Jesus now. All these things have changed in a moment. In a moment. You know that that's what... I've been saved now for 16 years. And that's not very long to some of you. Some of you have been saved 17. Or 20 or 30 or 40, 50. I don't know how long you've been saved. But let me say this. As a 10-year-old boy, I had no clue what Christ did when He saved me. I only knew that I needed to be saved, that He promised He'd do it if I quit trusting in me and put my faith in Him and ask Him to forgive me. I knew that. I didn't understand what Christ did. You know, this woman didn't either. you, You may believe different. I don't believe she did. In fact, she may have been thinking, why did He just call me daughter? (laughs) But you know, it didn't take long of walking with God before God began to reveal to her what had taken place in her life. And let me say this, after 16 years, I've not scratched the surface of what Christ did for me at Calvary. His riches are unsearchable. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not even getting a handle on all that God's done for me. And I kind of think part of the reason eternity is going to have to be so long, you say, how long? Eternity, that's how long. Is we're never going to run out of things to praise Him for. And He's never going to run out of blessings to bestow upon us. He's changed us. He's saved us. If you're here today without Christ, let me say, He'll save you too. Say, I'm not ready. Well, I get ready. You don't know when you'll be taken out of this world. You don't know. Nobody does. 
I promise you, all over this world today, there's people stepping out into eternity that expected to live decades longer. You don't know. Or maybe you're here and you say, you know, preacher, I know that I need to be saved. And I'm finally ready to do it. Let me say that we can take the Word of God and show you how to be saved. But do you know that you don't have to speak to me to be saved? You just have to speak to Him. He'll save you. You say, I wouldn't know what to say. So I wouldn't know what to say. Well, that's okay. The Bible covered that when it said that the Spirit also itself maketh intercession for us when we know not what we ought to pray. Hey, all it took for the publican was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that man went down to his house justified. God hears the heart. and He's willing to save. He's willing to sanctify if you're willing to let him this morning.